and welcome back to the Black Road Podcast. As always, it's your co-host, Anjanae Slaughter, and my lovely co-host here, Carol Mitchell. Hi, Carol. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I just cannot wait to hear all about your exciting training. And then I'll mention one I went to. We got laws and stuff to talk about. Yeah. And yeah, the protests, the silent march, so much happened last week. So absolutely, guys. The IBJ is present in places that you might not be able to be <laughs> president. And then we're gonna come right here and just report on it. Okay. And we boldly go where no black person will go <laughs> without a microphone <laughs> and a camera. <laughs> yes. We yes. boldly go. And I think we we try our best to translate some of the things that are happening in just everyday language, because mm-hmm. sometimes people use language that is so confusing and they make assumptions about what people already know. And so we, yeah. try, to, we try to help ourselves and help other folks understand some of these things that are going on. So let's talk about juvenile justice for yes. a minute. Let's talk about it. So the American Probation and Parole uh, Board, they put together this this winter training, right? Uh, it's no longer winter now. We're actually getting into March. It's almost spring. It's blowing my mind. Um, but I, it really highlighted things that, you know, I felt growing up, but I didn't actually know for certain, right? I didn't have the numbers mm-hmm. to really substantiate these realities, right? Um, and one of the biggest kind of like mind blowers was the, the data that 47% of juvenile, you know, delinquents, right, are never adjudicated that are on parole. So they're on parole, but they weren't actually charged for anything, you know, or there was no formal judgment, right, Carol? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. How it, 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 do I got the adjudicate from a lawyer, you know? <laughs> No, no, that's that's why it's blowing my mind. Wait a minute. You're on probation, but you're being supervised, Mm -hmm. but you were never actually adjudicated. You didn't go in front of a judge and a finding wasn't entered that you had committed a crime for which you are now under supervision. Right. 47%. That's almost the same amount of people that are adjudicated. I mean, that's <laughs> half of the population are on parole, but never fa- never seen in front of a judge. So the whole structure of this juvenile justice, um, you know, uh, I would say training, right? It was a week long training put together by the Casey Family Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was really all about transformation because they're looking at these numbers and they're like this doesn't make any sense right uh, how, yeah. is, how is this effective or how is it helping public safety are these people actually threats of public safety or do we just need more supportive ways you know to actually give resources and help these you know young young adults right um we're talking about the the, the low risk ages are you know 13 right but the more high risk they they start reaching the 15 to 16 age age range. Mm-hmm. So that's really the 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 age that we're trying that we're talking about here. And 
in this transformation and in, in these different classes, we, we started talking about family engagement and how we can, you know, incorporate families into this, into this process, into juvenile justice, right? And one thing that I love and I want to talk about here on the Black Robe is this um, push that the Casey Family Foundation is doing to broaden the definition of family. Hello. And hello and Black people, we know everybody's kin, cousin, auntie. <laughs> Listen, we had a word, and I know you know it, uh, it's a Geechee word, mama nim. Mama <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, mama. I mean, mama was not a, a monolith, right? It's not a, a single person. A single, it's right. All the women around mama that mm -hmm. mothered you. So, mama nim, which could even exactly. have men involved in it. We we wow. have a very collective view mm -hmm. of family. Yeah, and I think that does stem from. I mean, and it could predate slavery right but we know that the black community had to stick together uh when we were out there in them fields you know we everybody was cousin brother sister you know because we had to protect each other we had to you know and that's translated generations later now why i have aunties that are just my mom's friends from back in the day but right? i still call them auntie you know I, I have women that i grew up with in church i called them mother and I had somebody ask me about that because I think either um, Mayor Woodard's or Tawana Nobles, one of them called the other one daughter or mother. I can't remember daughter. now exactly uh -huh. how that went, but somebody yeah. asked me, is that her daughter? I said, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not her blood daughter, blood, yeah. but they have a relationship that is mm -hmm. family-like. Exactly. It's, uh, it's they're that close. The bond uh, between them is that close that they're like mother daughter. Right. So when we're when we apply that thinking to juvenile justice and thinking in this broader term as family, now we have role models that can come in and actually sign on your behalf because we we know parents maybe they'd be at work or they're you know working three jobs right to just keep food and clothes on people's backs, you know. Um, now we have other people that are positive figures in a young person's life. They can actually speak on behalf, right? Mm -hmm. They can actually uh, be a part of the parole process. Um, and I, well, I love I was, that. I was a big sister. My, my, mm. big, my little sister is now almost 25 years old, but oh. I still stay connected to her from the time she yeah. was like 10. So I think if wow. she ever got into a bind, she has never been in any trouble that I'm aware of, but if she ever did, yeah. she knows how to find me. She knows how to reach me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, throughout her younger years, I felt like I was as close as a, a friend to her as, you know, her own friends, her age. Right. Well, that's I was good. family. You right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, these are just a few things, you know, of course, this was a week long seminar. We only got 30 minutes on this black, on this podcast, but um, I, I just love the direction that the Casey family is taking not the whole American probation and parole or oh, yeah. I mean, there were, there was officers, probation officers from all over the country that attended this uh, week long training. Right. Um, and not only just probation officers, but 
case managers. There were some um, people, some therapists that are involved in the process, mm -hmm. you know, and they actually had some uh, pilot programs come and share their data, share their information, because there's we're already kind of applying this juvenile justice transformative um, structure in certain places, including, ironically, Pierce, Pierce County. County. Pierce now, County. This is, this is one thing we are actually known nationally for, our mm -hmm. Pierce County Juvenile Court and the detention center I got to give props to, yeah. to them. They've been a juvenile detention alternative initiative site, JDAI site. Casey uh, Foundation Money funds it. Mm -hmm. And they have won all kinds of national awards for the way they have transformed probation at uh, Raymond Hall, which used to hold an average of about 220, 230 kids, young mm -hmm. people a month. Now it's down to about 22 Wow! on average. And some of those are young people who would be down at Pierce County jail because mm -hmm. of their, their uh, charges. Yeah. But thankfully, Somebody says that, you know, a 13 year old doesn't belong down in the county jail. And so right. they're, held, they're, they're held to some extent, you know, not necessarily out with the other kids, depending on the circumstances, but at least they're not down there with a bunch of grown, as my, as my family oh, would say, grown, <laughs> you know, the word in between <laughs> yeah. men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> grown folk. Yeah. <laughs> but I think they figured out that by having these community partnerships, mm -hmm. um, you know, the boat builders and uh, what is that? Uh, there's a cycling shop up on the hilltop where they come and learn how to put together bicycles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it called? One something. I can't recall the name of the, the little mm -hmm. cycle place, but they have these community partnerships. Why? Why uh, MCA? Right, mm -hmm. where young people go do something productive in the community and right. that serves as you know time that qualifies for them to have their probation shortened. Mm -hmm. Yes. They still have a disproportionate number of African American males in that system, though. Mm -hmm. And TJ Bowl, uh, the court administrator there, uh, acknowledges that they still have work to do. Yeah. But yeah. they've come a long way. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, they, we need to replicate, you know, these transformative measures in other, you know, states and jurisdictions. I mean, it's getting so progressive that they even have, you know, apps in, you know, interactive apps uh, <laughs> that are game-like. They have gamifications on them that where you can win trophies and all these incentives, right? Just by, uh, doing your daily journal, which is part of your parole anyways, you know, yeah. or um, doing a mood evaluation, you know, you're able to mm. get these points. And so they're using incentives, which of course kids love incentives, you know, and <laughs> that's not even new, uh, you know, that's not a new methodology. Everyone talks about, you know, oh, you get good grades. Here's, you know, 20 bucks or whatever, or, you get good Christmas gifts, you know. I mean, we kids should be incentivized, not 
punished. You still you know incentivize. they're still remember we talked about that, right? Still mm -hmm. developing. Yeah. The, the the juvenile court has a family council too with parents and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I think they have a system set up now where they have uh, counselors who try to help deal with the social issues, the family issues, the family dynamics that sometimes are a factor in that young person's mm -hmm. quote, criminal behavior. Um, and they try to make sure they actually stay on, on target with education. So there's an actual school inside the center. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's now, good. I don't know how much they actually stay up to speed, you know, whether or not they're, and especially now with COVID, I don't know if anybody's actually coming in there, yeah. but those young people still need to be educated. And look, I got to talk just real briefly about prison food, because, you know, there's a whole initiative right now around food mm -hmm. and the food that's being served to people who are detained. I think it's even more important that young people get decent food because their, their bodies are still developing. Still growing, yeah. Not high fat, high sugar, high carb food. Yeah. Uh, but I gotta tell you, even the employees over there were complaining about the food. <laughs> but anyway, enough said about that. What's the most important takeaway you had from your training? And then I wanna tell you about Doug Baldwin tonight. Yes, most important takeaway is that there is a body of people that are really working towards transformation and in different elements, you know, um, from the family to how we engage and interact to the accessibility, right, to alternatives. This whole thing is about alternatives. Right. So for me, so for me, I, I really, I really was able to identify and hone into that. And that is progressive. We know that this is not the end all be all. We know that there is still the school to prison pipeline that is still embedded within our juvenile detention um, as far as our suspension rates and how those are disproportionately mm -hmm. targeted. You know, everything plays a role. So there's definitely more work to be done. I'm glad to see the Casey family is, you know, at least doing their part. Um, I wanna see other organizations across the country really pick up on this, other jurisdictions, because it's really up to them to mm -hmm. choose to use these apps and these transformative measures you know you got to tap into your state governments your local governments um but at least the conversation has been started and it's carrying on and ibj was there to hear about it uh, and report it back to you guys <laughs> i am so glad that you were able to fit it into your crazy busy schedule um we both have had crazy busy schedules tonight uh or this week and tonight i i had a chance to see a videotape of doug baldwin speaking of juvenile justice he was having a conversation on video with two young men keenan and Jawan. no last name shall be called because right. they're young people uh, and they were interviewing him from green hill school which is a juvenile detention facility in Chehalis. Um, and the, they talked about if they had a magic wand, what would they do to improve upon the juvenile justice system? And of course, Doug Baldwin said that the most powerful thing, right? There wouldn't be one. Right. And young people would not only be seen, but they would be loved because in his view, that's at the core of what's missing. Everybody wants to be seen, be significant, mm 
mm-hmm. and be loved by their people. Right. right. And that's why sometimes you have to extend out that family because mm-hmm. sometimes the blood people, the biological people don't have the wherewithal, the right. mental, physical capacity. They might be incarcerated. Themselves yes. may be incarcerated or have histories of being in and out of incarceration. And so that child may have to, you know, have a larger family community around him or her. And mm-hmm. so Doug Baldwin apparently is putting his Seahawks money where his mouth mm-hmm. is and is building a community sem- center, family first community center up in Brenton. I don't know how far that project is along, but mm-hmm. um, uh, his point is that as soon as a child walks in the door, they will be seen. Oh, I love and that. Whatever that means, right? You're right. They'll know that somebody sees them and there will be this sense of significance. The county has a committee. Did you know this? An advisory committee called the Birth to 25 Advisory Committee. I was a part of the group that formed it. Mm. And each part of the county has a couple of representatives. It's like 19 or 20 people on this committee. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I don't know what they've done. But they were supposed to be putting together a comprehensive plan for what could be done on the prevention side of things. Mm. What do you do for a zero, right? Or even while a mother is expecting, what do you do for a family to shore them up, to be sure that they have what they need? Did you know we have a very high rate of zero to three-year-olds that die in this county? No, I did not know that. It's about abuse and neglect. Oh, wow. We have a very high rate. It's a sad story. Mm -hmm. We need to be doing something at Mm -hmm. zero to make sure that that child has a chance of a productive life where they are seen, they're significant, and they're Mm. surrounded by people that love them. I agree. What do we need to be doing to keep them out? Probation transformation is kind of at the deep end of the work, right? That's at the top end. And part of what I think we need to be focused on is how do we, what's the guardrail that Mm -hmm. keeps child out of that system altogether? Yeah, I I agree. It does, the conversation does need to happen at zero right we need to make sure that Mm -hmm. children have the proper nutrients you know all the basic necessities should be taken care of basic you know universal basic income here we go (laughs) (laughs) okay and then let's talk about education yes you know and education has a huge impact on where a child will end up right and it's not because the child is you know not as smart no it's because that child isn't given, people have different learning skills. And it's actually been proven that, you know, uh, people of color, Black people, we think more without, you know, more move, more with movement, Kinetic. right? Yeah. Kinetic, Kinetic. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So applying the cultural, the cultural, you know, uh, uh, relic, I don't know exactly the proper term for it, but you gotta, you got you have to apply uh, the cultural backgrounds, you know, to, to everything, right? That's a part of equity. You must have been on the call to, uh, with those young people because 
their magic wand would do exactly what you're saying. They, it would put staff in these facilities that have that cultural understanding. They, these two young men were so articulate. In fact, you can find a link to the video on the IBJ uh, Facebook page. I put, a, I shared it and shared a link. Actually, maybe it's my Facebook page. I don't know. It's on YouTube. <laughs> Team Child. Just look, Team Child, Juvenile Justice, Racial Equity. You'll find it on YouTube. Really well done with Doug Baldwin, but they said that exactly what you're saying. We want staff members that understand, you know, have some cultural understanding that maybe have some social work, some mental health, some trauma informed, you know, adolescent brain development training instead of folks right. who just came out of the military and got their job working at Green Hill with mm -hmm. nothing in between. And a lot of them do come from law enforcement and military backgrounds. So that's one thing. The second thing that they mentioned is what you always talk about. That's why I wanted to mention it tonight because you are right on. They want what, what is training it? in entrepreneurship, financial literacy, and communication mm. skills. I See? said, IBJ can do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sure can. I mean, that's what... I think this, you know, generation is really realizing that, like I, like I say, true liberation, it, you know, true freedom is financial freedom. Mm -hmm. It's when you don't have to depend on these systems, you know, in their money, you're able to grow and not only just grow, but manage and upkeep, maintain your money. You mm -hmm. know, we, we don't know about uh, stocks and bonds because people in our families weren't able to pass that information down. Usually right. that information comes from your dad or your grandpa, your uncle, you know? But hey, if no one's talking about credit, no one's talking about investing or uh, even the basics of what's the difference between a sole proprietorship and an LLC. Mm -hmm. If no one's talking like that, then of course you're not gonna hear that information. No. And of course you're gonna think, you just got to get a job. That's yeah. what we hear in the Black community. Get a job. <laughs> and the you only know? bond a lot of my family members knew about was the one you did when one of your the kids jail? was in jail. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but hey, that's, that's the only truth. kind of that's bond that they knew anything about. And so I was telling my uh, one of my daughters the other day, hey, you got to start thinking now about the life you want to have when you get to my age. You can't wait till you get to my age and to start planning for retirement. You have to plan when you're in your 30s and 40s. That's when you plan. That's when you buy your life insurance and do every, all that stuff because nobody wants to insure you when you start <laughs> creeping up <laughs> you know, around those high double digits. So yeah, right. or even my life communication and financial literacy we have to make sure we have a workshop or two at the freedom summer symposium on those topics definitely that's definitely. your assignment <laughs> <laughs> that's it. okay that's per that's fitting <laughs> so can we end with um manuel ellis and the silent march which um i know you were our reporter on the scene that day 
uh, at the March. You want to talk a little bit about that and then we'll close. Yes. Well, the March was a truly beautiful event uh, took place on Sunday. It was brought to us by, you know, a collaborative of different, you know, churches in the area. I believe the Tacoma Alliance Ministries was one of the Mr. one of the main. Alliance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but what was fascinating, it was a silent march. So there wasn't the, you know, no justice, no peace. It was silent. Um, and we walked to the beat of this drum. You know, it was a bass drum. It kept a steady cadence the whole time. And it was just so powerful as we're walking and we're wearing all white, you know, to really symbolize um, the, the silent marches that were, you know, that came before us in, in history, right? And to just live on this history. Um, but yeah, to see people coming out of their homes, we're walking on 28th and MLK. So, this is a very historic street in Tacoma. You know, I ain't even from Tacoma and I know the history of this street. <laughs> okay. And so we're walking and there's, um, I would say a few hundred maybe people. Uh, it was a good turnout. Um, and we're walking and we see people coming out of their houses because there's houses right along MLK. Some black people, some non-black people coming out their houses to, you know, look as we're walking. And what was interesting, there was a police escort, which wasn't really needed. Hmm. But, or I don't think, I don't know who called them, but it's probably um, required for any kind of crowd control and the march and they don't want to have nobody running over folks by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, 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 that's a safety thing. Okay. I hear you. You don't want no drive-through policing going on at the march. So they, no. they, they sent an escort. Yeah. It may well, be required for the permit. Yeah. To do the march. Yeah. It's 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 true. It, it, you know, we we didn't no one was ran over. No one ran through a, a green or red light. So, you know, in that sense, thank you for that, for the protection. And then also the police they weren't in riot gear. You know, mm -hmm. this was a peaceful march. Um and we ended at the People's Park just down, you know, down the road there. Um had shared some prayers, you know, shared some positive thoughts. Um, the Tacoma Action Collective, I believe they're the ones that put this together, this event together. And they did have some action items that they were able to share. Mm -hmm. um, you guys can all go to the Tacoma Action Collective's website to get a list of those demands. Um, I know that we're definitely holding the AG Bob Ferguson accountable, right? This is, he's, he's involved now. So mm -hmm. we're calling them out and we're not going to stop until we see some uh, some results, right? Until we see those people convicted. I mean, this is serious, right? Because now we have not only the family that's still grieving, that haven't been able to really put their son to peace and rest, uh, but of course the symbolic messaging that it just portrays to the whole Black community. And it's not just the five officers and the deputy. It's everybody else that colluded around them mm -hmm. to keep this on hush. That's mm -hmm. that's why we're that's why we're calling people out. That's why we're talking and we're demanding justice, um, well, and uh, we're doing it all in peace. Hmm. Yes, it, it, I love the fact that it wasn't like January six. You know, so if 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 y'all want to see how you can uh, protest peacefully and address your grievances to uh, the powers that be, and yet not tear up a city or a Capitol building, 
and right. not threaten folks and kill folks. Well, mm -hmm. we just demonstrated the Tacoma Ministerial Alliance, Tacoma Action Collection Collective, just demonstrated to you is certainly possible to do. Um, I participated in an online protest. Now, see, this is what this is what old people do. We, <laughs> we, we go to the online protest. You ain't talking we, about just tweeting somebody, are you, Carol? <laughs> you ain't talking about just Facebook, just uh, blowing up someone's comments, no? <laughs> no, but I did that too. No, it was uh, sponsored by Lawyers Against Systemic Racism, LASER. And they must have had, you know, a hundred folks on that call. It was pretty amazing. Um, uh, the Thomases, who are the architects of Next Steps, who played such an important role in the I-940 mm -hmm. uh, police uh, investigation, independent investigations uh, legislation, they were on the call. Um, the mother of the, the young woman, uh, Jackie, I don't I know James Rideout is her brother. Uh, she was on the call to talk about uh, Jackie's unfortunate death. You know, she was killed by Tacoma police while she was pregnant. Oh, uh, and so the Puyallup tribe of Indians, they went all over the state lobbying other tribes to get that I-940 legislation through. So, you know, there's a, they were huge, hugely yeah. influential in that. Um, wow. But the, the, that protest was likewise in support of Manuel Ellis because the AG's office, Bob Ferguson's office has now said it's gonna take six more weeks, it'll be April. March 3rd is the one year anniversary of Manny's death. And I, I think many people have heard me say I was actually in the medical examiner's office at the morgue the day or the day after he was brought in because he was he was killed late in the evening. And so I feel a really close sense of connection mm. to him and to this case yeah. because I always had occasion to ask, what is the case of the week? I'd ask the medical examiner that uh, and not expecting what I heard that day. Yeah. Manny was the case of the week. And there was a sense that this was a homicide, even though we knew it was going to take a while to get the toxicology reports back. So I feel a strong sense of connection to Manny. Um, it's a sad circumstance, the way the whole case has just gone from Pierce County to the state patrol. Now we're waiting uh, yeah. for the AG's office to figure out whether there will be a charge or not. The facts keep changing about was the spit mask on for 12 minutes or two minutes. And, you know, all yeah, of yeah. those little intimate facts are shifting and changing and all of it makes a difference. But hopefully by the first week of April, the family will finally get some answers. Yeah. It's sad that it's taking a full year. So keep praying for them. I'm glad that you are filling your brain with juvenile justice information and uh, getting some great ideas around that. We'll talk more about that in upcoming weeks. Uh, so any final comments before we close? Well, just that we're a week closer to our Freedom Summer Symposium. <laughs> you guys are gonna get tired of hearing us talk about this, but it's gonna, it's gonna be so big guys. That's why we're so excited. Um, June 28, 29, 30, but before that,
there's gonna be so there is gonna be an application uh selection process i mean we're paying 30 people to you know spend three days and not three full days but right. really diving into social justice not an entrepreneurship type work right and and conversation and it's going to be fun it's going to be engaging we want to have uh music performances right and again it's paid right um yeah. so the application process is going to go out we're, we're shooting for april carol yes yep it'll yep. be on the streets in april and uh due back in just a couple weeks so start scratching out your 500 word essay for why you should be involved start yeah. thinking about it and if you are an artist a performing artist if you mm -hmm. do spoken word poetry if you sing if you dance we have places in that three-day agenda that we would love to plug you in. And again, we'll give you a small honorarium, right? We, we're not in the multi-million dollar range yet, but someday. Uh, but in the meantime, we, we do, we wanna be, we wanna demonstrate the fact that we see value in what young people bring to every room they stand in. And mm -hmm. so we wanna, we wanna just show our appreciation for them as they help us increase the dialogue and information that's flowing back and forth about what 18 to 35 year olds need us to do. What should we be focused on? We have an advisory committee for the zero to 25. Well, now let's see what that 18 to 35 or so crowd has to say about what our systems need to look like. Mm -hmm. June 28, 29, 30. And there's information at the end of our broadcast. There sure is. Well, that's it for us tonight, guys. Uh, it was another awesome conversation tonight on the Black Road podcast. Yeah. You, you were in a good mood tonight. I'm, <laughs> well, I told you the juvenile, I'm tired of seeing my young brothers and sisters and, you know, people in this juvenile justice. I was happy to see Pierce County is, you know, a leader in this conversation. Right. So I was able to actually, you know, I claim some of that as being a Washingtonian. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, it's always just nice talking to you, Carol. It's always nice just being heard, being seen as a young person. Right. And so I can't help but to smile and be happy about that. Um, well, uh, next time we get together, remind me to tell you about sneakerheads because okay. we may have a sneakerhead at the Freedom Summer Symposium. Ooh. There you go. Now, now, see, I didn't know who little baby was. Now you, <laughs> you, you get to go look up what a sneakerhead is. <laughs> I sure will. I'm not even gonna pretend like I know. <laughs> and he's young and black, and he's, I think, maybe 25. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I'm interested. <laughs> yes, and it has a lovely Jamaican accent to go with it. So stay tuned for sneakerheads. All righty, guys. All right, Thanks so much, Carol. See you. You guys later. have a great night. <laughs> See ya.